0: Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here this morning, noon, night, whenever you're watching or listening uh, for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It is, again, Tuesday, December 19th. And our kitesis today, will jump over to the Gospel according to St. Luke, which you all probably know quite well. That seems... uh, Maybe even memorize large chunks of it, probably because of uh, children's Christmas programs. Uh, one of our uh, members mentioned uh, just all the memories of of those, uh, especially in the time you know when you serve in the congregation, whether as a teacher or Sunday school teacher or something like that. Uh, you have memories, and I think uh, maybe even just as a child, you commit it to memory, or maybe you just watch the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special every year and uh, you hear Lucy read it. So, whatever uh, or however. Uh, you become familiar with Luke chapter 2, it's worth our... Oh, we're going to take actually a few days here to consider it uh, in detail. So today, uh, the beginning of the chap- of chapter 2. We're going to hear the gospel in two chunks this year. Uh, one will be at our Christmas Eve service at 6.30 uh, on Sunday night. And then um, the second half we'll hear at the Christmas midnight service, which we celebrate at 10 o'clock. Um, we've actually split the readings that way this year. So... Um, You'll have the birth of Christ and then you'll have the shepherds and their visit at uh, the midnight service. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Prayer, Psalm for the week, Psalm 85. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. The glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. All right, I think today's a suitable day for a... Um, meditation on the psalm and uh, the reason, um, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes the psalms seem a little veiled to us as to their meaning, and it's worth our consideration of what uh, the psalmist is after here. Of course, it's a confession of Christ, but it, but in what way, right? And how does it lead us uh, t- into faith in Christ? Unto us a child is born, the lyric prophet wrote. Unto us a son is given, Isaiah nine. And he wrote these things with respect to the incarnation of the divine Son becoming a human child. Both aspects of this Christian mystery, which Isaiah perceived so lucidly, see John 12:41), 41, were likewise seen by the wise men who came with adoration to welcome this newcomer to the scene, this divine son and human child. St. Ambrose of Milan comments on these wise men. When they looked upon the little one in the stable, they said, Unto us a child is born. And when they beheld his star, they exclaimed, Unto us a son is given. On the one hand, a gift from earth, and the other, on the other hand, a gift from heaven. For both are one person, perfect in both respects, with no change in his divinity and no diminution of his humanity. Only one person did these wise men adore, and to one and the same did they present their gifts, showing that they that he who was beheld in the stall was the very Lord of the stars. That's from uh, Ambrose's De fide um, Book 3. The psalm is a further canticle honoring both facets of the Incarnation. For the latter is that history-defining encounter of two worlds, wherein, quote, the Lord will grant his mercy, and our earth shall give its fruit. Quote, truth has arisen from the earth, we pray in this psalm, speaking of the child born unto us, and righteousness has stooped down from heaven. We go on telling of the Son given unto us. This union is the sacrament of God become man, in which mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have shared a kiss. Thus, Still following St. Ambrose, when mankind cried out in Psalm 85, O Lord, show us your mercy and grant us your salvation, it was a prayer for the Incarnation, in which he who is God's Son is born as Mary's child and given to us. Such, ultimately, is the meaning of the lines with which we begin this same psalm. Kindly have you been to our la- your land, O Lord, bringing back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven your people their iniquities, you have covered all their sins, and end have you given to your anger, you abandoned the fury of your wrath. All these blessings of reconciliation between two realms were accomplished when the Father sent his only begotten Son, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Ephesians 1, verse 10. In this mystery of God's reconciliation, then, is fulfilled the prophecy of our psalm, for his salvation is near to those who fear him so that glory may inhabit our earth. This glory inhabiting our earth is what was first seen when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. John 1, our Gospel, for Christmas Day. The Father sent his Son in response to the most profound aspirations of men's hearts. Before Isaiah spoke for all mankind when he pleaded, O that you would rend the heavens, O that you would come down. Psalm 64, driven from God's presence in paradise and retained in bondage to unclean spirits by reason of transgression, the human race with Adam and Eve cried out in our psalm, Convert us, O God of our salvation, and turn your fury from us. Will you be angry with us forever, or from generation to generation prolong your wrath? O God, you will convert us and restore us to life, and your people shall rejoice in you. Christ, then, is our peace, Ephesians 2, and likewise our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1. It is of these things that our psalm says righteousness shall go before him, and he will set his footsteps in the way. This is the Christ who, quote, came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near, Ephesians 2. This is Christ, quote, being both begotten of the Father before all ages and created from the Virgin in these final times, Ambrose, again, D fide. We pray with confidence, then, the words of our psalms I shall hear what the Lord God speaks within me for peace. Will he speak to his people, to his saints, to those who turn their hearts to him? Quite lovely, right? So there, um, faithfulness springs up from the ground, a son, or excuse me, a child, and righteousness looks down from the sky, a son. See how he does that? Heaven and earth meeting in in the Son of God, righteousness and peace kissing each other. All right, our verse for the week. We we pray it together. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. Psalm fifty one, verse five. Again, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51, verse 5. Lord's Prayer, fifth petition. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But we ask that he would give them all to us by grace, For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. All right. Oh, here's our Isaiah 9 text we heard in the meditation on the psalm. We'll hear it again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have increased the nation and in, or multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from noisy paddle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of Hosts will perform this. You don't often see um, Christ coming um, wrapped in battle garments, uh, rolled in blood, but uh, so it is here. You know that the blood. How did I hear it recently? Maybe it was something I read to you. You know that he comes triumphant to his church uh, with with his clothes still stained with blood. Something like that. What a um, wonderful poetic way of speaking. Of uh, the blood was still fresh right, when he comes to us, the blood of his sacrifice for us. All right, and uh, Luke chapter 2. And as I said, this is going to be quite familiar to you, but um, it's always worth us digging in. And uh, when I was talking through the text with the children in chapel, I find that despite the fact that we talk and we hear this every year, maybe because it's so familiar that we stop um, being curious about the details. So we'll do that today. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from... Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was, or this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were still there, or while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling claws and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That would be the entire Roman world, of course. And registration um, here, you might call it, well, verse two calls it a census, right? And a census is um, a counting of people. You know, specifically for tax purposes um, I think didn't they change yeah they changed the like um, allocations of of uh, congress people based off of our people House of Representatives based off of census data so some states receive less and some more and then I think they also redraw the district map based off of census data right um, of course then the question is why was the census data um, fraudulently manipulated <laughs> well let's not ask those questions all right uh, nothing new under the sun on that so, uh, tax purposes, right? Roman authority, and so uh, we have Caesar Augustus ordering it. And uh, Caesar, of course, is the Roman emperor for the Roman Empire. Um, another historic note: Quirinius was governing in Syria, and I think I made that point maybe in a sermon here recently. It was Sunday, you know that, it, or no, it was last Wednesday. Um, that uh, John's ministry and Jesus as well happens in real time and in real space. Right? It's not some kind of You know, pure myth or um, metaphor. All right, so why go to Bethlehem? Well, because everyone has to go to their own city. In other words, um, the city of one's lineage. In Joseph's case, that is Bethlehem. Uh, You might recall that both um, Joseph and Mary are of the house and lineage of David, of the same tribe. Uh, You would generally do that, Mary within your own tribe. You know, it doesn't make them necessarily near cousins or something like that. (laughs) It's been many generations. All right, Uh, so Bethlehem, it's called the city of David because, of course, David was born there. You can go back and see that in 1 Samuel uh, 17. Bethlehem, it's worth remembering the name. That's going to come up here again later in the in the text. Uh, Beit Lachem, excuse me, Beit is a city or house, I should say. Lachem is bread, so it's the house of bread, uh, meaning it's a place to eat, which uh, is kind of ironic in the Old Testament story because Jacob leaves uh, Beit Lachem, Bethlehem, because there is no bread in Bethlehem, right? Um, and that's also the city then where uh, Rachel dies, giving birth to Ben Hamin, son of my um, son of my sorrow, right? Yeah. Um, also, then um, it becomes a house of bread again. So there's no bread found in it um, at the time of Jacob because of the famine. Then um, they flee to Egypt for bread, but they return for bread um, when uh, Naomi and uh, Ruth return after their exile. Uh, well, Ruth was from Moab, but when they go to Moab, then they return and there is bread. Boaz, of course, has the field and is harvesting the grain and gives that to uh, Naomi and Ruth for food. And of course, ultimately, Ruth is redeemed. She becomes the great-grandmother of David. You get the whole rest of the story. By the way, Boaz, interesting, um, we noted this when we had the genealogy. Boaz was the son of Rahab. Is that right, her grandson? Yeah, well, of the, of the lineage of Rahab. Who was redeemed from Jericho? Lots of story of redemption happening there. All right, what is the important phrase? What is important about the phrase? um, The days were completed for her to be born. I really prefer that translation to, um, I think ESV on that. The days being completed echo what we'll see what we see in Galatians four. If you remember. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Right. So both Luke and Paul are stressing that that God had appointed this time in history for the birth of his Savior. Um, I had uh, one professor at seminary. You know, you don't necessarily remember a lot um, from preaching, um, but it was such a poignant example uh, when he was preaching on Galatians 4, uh, where he said that time was like an over- Ripe boil, waiting to explode. (laughs) So vivid. Also, kind of gross. Uh, Maybe that's why I remember it. So there you go. That's that's one of my few goals in life: is that I say one thing memorable that you don't forget and that you uh, repeat to others. Right? Um, That it was in the fullness of time that God sent forth His Son here, or uh, when the days uh, were completed. All right. What's important about calling Jesus um, the firstborn Son? Okay. Well, one. She had no other sons. Yeah, overripe boil is the question. I know. I don't know why he used such a disgusting image, but he did, and now I remember it. So maybe that's why. Um, again, firstborn son. Firstborn son. Um, yes, no other sons. So, uh, And of course, this son is conceived by the Holy Spirit, so remains a virgin. But um, there's more to it than that. Here you want to go back to the Exodus. We're going to hear echoes of the Exodus tomorrow, too, with uh, the glory and the angel of the Lord. So we already have the beginning of an exodus here in Luke, which uh, will be explicitly said in Luke chapter 9 at the Mount of Transfiguration that Jesus is making his exodus. Um, so you'll hear exodus themes all through Luke. Um, well, actually through all the Gospels, but in particular in Luke. How about Exodus 11? And Moses said, Thus says the Lord at midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt. Right. So here I think it came upon a midnight clear. Right. The reversal of this story. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as was not like it before nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast till you know that the Lord, oh, so that you know, may know that the Lord does not make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And then later on after the Passover is instituted, um, this is what's recorded. And the firstborn are consecrated, remember. Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's but every firstborn of donkey shall redeem with the lamb and if you do not redeem it etc all right so the firstborn who opens the womb uh, were consecrated to the lord's service that is to serve in the temple and were redeemed from death from death by blood so tell us that tells us something about jesus right he would be the firstborn um, who would not be redeemed by blood but instead would die in, in our place that we would be redeemed by his blood we and all men Hmm. Right. It's a big Exodus theme there of the redemption of the firstborn. Jesus is the redeeming firstborn. And of course is committed or dedicated um, for the Lord's service. And that will be made explicit when the Father says, this is my beloved son at Jesus' baptism. But wait for that. That's epiphany. All right, Why do you think we need to hear the words as born unto you, our, her firstborn son, I should say. Why a son to her? All right. This is Genesis 3.15. We talked about it yesterday. Remember the promise of a son, an offspring given to that would crush the serpent's head. That was the promise given to Eve and the curse against Satan, all right? So the birth of a male who would be the savior. That's why I'm translating it as offspring is not helpful. Um, the word is seed, serah, and it's it, in Hebrew, it is explicitly a male son, so I prefer seed. Um, it indicates the maleness of, of the son, all right? And there's all sorts of reasons. I think yesterday the children remarked that sons are inheritors. Of course, then the question is, what does he inherit? Well, actually, a kingdom, that's you. (laughs) Yeah, pronouns are important, um, and uh, the grammatical gender is important. I remember gender is a grammatical term, and uh, indicating, uh, in an inflected language, like uh, Greek or Hebrew, um, the articles are very important, or pronouns, in this case. So he, she, it, that kind of thing. Um, Masculine, feminine, or neuter. By the way, grammar... Um, is being, and, and language in general, is being uh, grossly misused to try to create reality. Um, we believe that language is used to describe reality. Um, God gives the gift of language not to to um, distort and to uh, create chaos, but rather uh, to, to tell the truth, tell the truth. Um, so it can be used for falsehood. That's a misuse of God's gift of language. Um, language is to be used to tell the truth. And the truth is that there is male and female, and then that which is neither male nor female or neuter, right? Usually places objects and things. Okay. So um, there's no point in creating new pronouns <laughs> because there is no reality apart from male, female, and uh, non male, female, right? Just uh, asexual without sex. All right. Uh, by the way, this is also why mm, this scandalous story about what's happening, what happened in the uh, Capitol and the Senate chamber um, that was filmed. I don't want to go into any graphic detail, um, but people are calling it sex. Um, it's not sex. It's, it's called, we have other terms for it. We call it sodomy. We should tell the truth about it. Um, it can't be sex because it can't lead to reproduction. Um, the sexual act leads to reproduction. If it can't, then it is no longer sex. Maybe broadly speaking, it belongs to the sexual act or to pleasure, but not, um, I don't think it's properly called sex. But that's another story for another time. Again, misuse of words. Uh, and uh, that's a way of normalizing behavior and not describing it as it is. All right. Um, it's not an act of love. It's an act of um, abuse, by the way, as well. All right. Using a thing not for what it's for. Um, Also a son. Uh, We mentioned Eve and the promise and curse against the serpent. Promise to Eve, curse against the serpent. Um, But also firstborn or only begotten son connects us to Abraham and Sarah. The promise of the birth of the son in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's Genesis 21. And there's probably more. All connected to the son. right. Again, um, it's important that we not try to gender neutralize this. Otherwise, we destroy its confession of being of Jesus, who is male. All right. Um, What two things did Mary do for her son? This will come up again tomorrow. Wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So you want to pay attention to those two, wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger, because these are given as a sign to the shepherds as well. And a sign of what? That he is the Savior, that he's come to save his people from their sins. So actually, the angel gives us permission to um, to see these as a confession of uh, Christ's suffering and death for the forgiveness of sins. He does. The angel does. Right? Um, so swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger. manger is a feed trough or a, st- or a stone slab. Either way, either being laid into the tomb or laid upon the wood of the cross. It, either way, we're pointing to Jesus as being the bread of heaven who's come into the house of bread, into Bethlehem. See? So wrapped in cloths again at his burial, laid on a stone slab again at his burial. Just go look at John 19. And of course, Christ is laid upon a stone slab or a wood table for us now in his body and blood in the sacrament, right? So whether it was wood or stone, is um, it actually works both ways, thankfully. Um, I remarked on this in Bible class, I think, and that uh, we had some Roman Catholic visitors for the funeral last Thursday, and they, they noted how the altar uh, was made of wood. And this will come up um, in Ezekiel 43, which hopefully we'll actually read some more of on Sunday. That's the goal. It's such a lovely text for Christmas. I'm, I'm glad that it uh, worked out that way, that we could study that in preparation for our, our Lord's Nativity. Because the altar even in Ezekiel, the heavenly altar, is made of wood, where it would have been stone. All right. There's uh, no burnt sacrifice on a wooden altar. Hmm. Um, so, here you have the text in front of you. Let's summarize. The story of Jesus' birth is a historical and theological account of God coming in the flesh to feed his people. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to be the bread of life. He was wrapped up in cloths that he would be wrapped up at his death. He was laid upon the stone manger as he would be placed upon the stone slab of the tomb. Yet as the Western church would say, the wood of the manger became the wood of the cross. The one who came to die for us and once was laid in the manger now lies upon the manger of the altars of his church that we might be fed and live. The word for the room in the end is the same word used to describe the room in which he would institute the feast of his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. That upper room is the guest room. This little child would be born to, the, to be the victim and the priest, that is to offer the sacrifice of his own body and blood to death. Um, or, excuse me, his own body and blood. That death would pass over as it did when the firstborn sons of Israel were spared. The clause in which he was wrapped remind us that he is still wrapped up and hidden in the clause of Holy Scripture, that only those who believe his word may truly confess him to be the son of God. What a lovely meditation on that, huh? Brings it all together, doesn't it? Good. All right. Let's sing uh, stanzas three and four of our hymn today. cream Free- Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, lead us out of temptation. Guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. pray this day for deliverance against temptation and evil, for the addicted and despairing, for the tortured and oppressed, and for those struggling with sin. We also pray this day in thanksgiving with Jerry, celebrating his birthday. With Matt and Vicki, Wendell and Amy, Katrina, Dwayne and Pam, Dan and Liz, Martin and Tara. Pray for our catechumens. Pray for those ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Ralph, Allison, Joe, Dennis, Len, Christopher, Sophie, and Brad. Ron, Carol, Doug, Donna, Joan, Sandy, Owen, and Wendell, Merlin, Jolene, and President Willie. Pray for our homebound. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the Church. And we pray for those grieving, especially the family and friends of Walt. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That's our Congregation of Prayer for today, Tuesday, December nineteenth, two 2023. It's good to have you with us here. Um, I hope it's been a blessing to you to consider uh, in some more depth Luke chapter 2. Of course, uh, again, we'll hear that. Text um, at six thirty p.m. on Christmas Eve. So hope you can make plans to come out. Uh, that is the uh, you know all the bells and whistles, the spectacular Christmas Eve service, Christmas midnight. Um, I pull back a little bit, um, mostly because eh, the attendance is a little lighter at Christmas midnight. So um, that's how that goes. Um, but uh, that'll still be a great celebration. Of course, they're completely different services as well as Christmas morning, Christmas Eve morning, Christmas Day morning. Um, so all of those services are meant to complement one another. You get the full meal deal if you uh, can attend uh, as many of those as possible. So I encourage you to already make plans to do so today. All right. Uh, tomorrow evening we'll have a divine service at 6.30 with meal at 5.30 and we'll finish up our consideration of the work of John um, uh, because we're, of course, going to miss our fourth Sunday in Advent this year. So there you go. No fourth week in Advent this year. Isn't that incredible? That'll happen again in five years, by the way, because of the leap year next year. Uh, So it is. All right. God be with you all. Keep you safe. We'll see you again in the morning. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org. That's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.